Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Welcome, 9 a.m. How we doing? Good, good. You sound great. You're awake. You're here. Uh, thanks for being here in the house. Hey, thanks to those really quick who are listening online. Maybe you're checking us out for the first time, or maybe you're listening via Unfiltered Radio or podcast. Uh, just thanks for being a part of what we're doing this morning. Uh, my name is Bradley Hamilton, and I'm closing out a three-part series we've been in on prayer. And uh, really quick, to those who maybe are investigating faith, uh, maybe you're in the house and you have questions about faith, you're not sure about this Jesus thing, or you clicked on a link because someone shared it and you're just kind of... Uh, have questions, uh, one thing I wanna let you know is that you're actually in a really great place because a lot of our church is made up of people just like you uh, who have questions, who are investigating. And uh, we love that. We actually welcome that because we really think that you can belong way before you believe. And so this is a safe place to investigate, to bring those questions, to explore faith. Uh, But I also think it's a great series to be a part of, even though it's on prayer, because what you get the opportunity to do is really take sort of a back seat and uh, listen to one of the most confusing topics in our faith. It's one that we have a ton of questions about. It's one that can seem really intimidating and really confusing. And so you sort of get to sit back and hear a little bit more detail on this issue and this topic of of prayer. But I wanna let you in a little secret actually is that uh, Christians also have a lot of questions when it comes to prayer. Christians don't have prayer just all figured out. In fact, uh, we sometimes are intimidated by prayer. Uh, We sometimes are afraid to uh, pray, especially in public. Uh, We're especially sometimes afraid to pray in public after that one person prays who's just really good at praying. And we hate to follow them because we don't really know what to say. Um, Christians also sometimes get bored in prayer and uh, maybe we wander a little bit and we realize it's been 30 minutes in and we've been thinking about that Netflix special that we've been binging and uh, that's all we've been thinking about. We tend to do that too. Um, I I would say that Christians, we're not unique in that um, all of us, I think, have some questions, some confusion, some difficulty when it comes to knowing how, where, and when to pray. Um, and the difference, I think, is that Christians often just don't ask those questions because we're afraid to be judged by other Christians. And so we tend to sort of keep those questions inside. And so what we want to do as a church is go, hey, we're all sort of asking them, investigating, not investigating, just trying to grow deeper in your faith when it comes to prayer. We're all asking these questions. So let's just talk about it. And let's just look at what God has to say about it. Maybe there's some things that might free you up in prayer. Some of you have actually walked away from prayer or are avoiding prayer, um, I think, unnecessarily. And so we said, let's just look at this over the next few weeks. And we're closing that out today. But what's really cool is that this isn't unique to even us. In fact, even early Jesus followers had a ton of questions surrounding prayer. In fact, his, his first disciples, they're hanging out with him. They see him pray. They're experiencing Jesus. They're listening to his sermons. They're watching him perform miracles. But then they're also watching his prayer life. And because his prayer life looks so different than what culturally was normal, and because they had so many questions they were maybe afraid to ask to other religious leaders, they felt safe enough around Jesus to ask, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And, he, and here's how we started. And we said this last week, but I'm gonna add on to it. He started off and he said, our father. 
And right there, it was so countercultural to what they were used to culturally. Because he's saying where every other deity is removed, where every other deity is fickle and has to be pleased, and you have to make sure you approach them in a certain way, with a certain special place and special people, with special times and special words, he says, Christian, not so with you. That when you come to God, you can just come to him as a father. You come to him as a family member. You come to him as someone who cares for you and loves you and is there and ready to listen. So there's no special time. This can be just five minutes on your way out the door. There's no special place. This can be on your commute to work. There's no special people. So it doesn't matter how religious you feel you are or how messed up you feel you are or how educated you feel you are. You can just talk to God as your father. It was incredibly countercultural at the time. But then he adds on, and we didn't get to this last week, but this is so, so important. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word that we really use anymore, but it means to be reverent or holy or set apart. Now, this would have been more familiar to them. This is the kind of thing they were used to hearing about, that that God was powerful, that he was holy, that he was separate. But don't miss what Jesus was doing here by combining these two. By saying, our Father, hallowed be your name. His point was that God is both, don't miss this, all-powerful and all-loving. God is both all-powerful and all-loving. He's both of those things. And these two are so, so important because if he's just one and not the other, then he's not God. In fact, if God is just loving, but he's not powerful, then we pray to him with safe prayers. And our prayers lack confidence. And we approach him as if it doesn't really matter the big things we pray for, the big things going on in our life because he doesn't have the ability to actually do something. He doesn't have the ability to change the world around us, to change even maybe our own hearts. And so if we begin to pray like this, then we just begin to pray safe and bored prayers. But if God is all powerful, but not all loving, then he's reverent and he's holy, but he doesn't care about us. And he's powerful and can do anything, but does he care about the intricacies of our heart and our life and how do we become vulnerable with him? So when Jesus said, listen, you can pray to a God who is both all loving and all powerful. It was a brand new concept. And if I were to be honest, I think if we were to be honest, we wouldn't say this to our neighbor, to our right or to our left, but I think we all tend to still struggle with this today. This concept that God, we can approach him as if he is both all-knowing and all-powerful. And some of you have been praying to an all-loving God, but not a powerful God. And some of you, if you were to be honest, your prayers have been very safe. They've been very basic. You've sort of gotten bored in your prayer life. And you don't really let God into the deep areas of your heart because you just don't feel like he can do anything about it or that he can change you. And so you've been praying to a very safe God with safe prayers and you honestly kind of feel stuck in this area of prayer. And so maybe you need to kind of pick up this idea that God is also all powerful. But then here's the other issue is that some of us in the room have been praying to a God that is all powerful, but not all loving. And so we kind of tend to come to God as if he's sort of removed from us. Maybe he's ashamed of us because it's been so long since we've prayed, or maybe we feel nothing but shame when we pray because it's not long enough and we haven't said the right things. And we're always worried about what do we say and how do we say it and where do we pray? And you've been praying to a God that is just all powerful, but you need to know that he's also all loving and that he's ready to listen. And that he wants to talk through the tough things going on in your life and that he actually wants to encounter a relationship in communication with you. He is both all loving 
and all-powerful. And so that's what we want to do is look at every single week a dangerous prayer that we can pray. Something that we can kind of help us really wrap back our, our minds and our brains around the idea that God, we can come to him as a powerful God who loves us and cares for us. And so the dangerous prayer we're going to look at this morning is by Peter and John. And Peter and John, they were disciples of Jesus. So these were the guys that were hanging out next to Jesus for several years. They got to kind of be in his inner circle, see the inner workings of his ministry. Uh, They watched him perform miracles and heal people. They listened to his sermons and they they really built trust and a friendship with Jesus. And then this moment comes where they watch their friend die. Because the Jewish leaders had seen Jesus as this cult leader who was really disrupting the Jewish faith. And so they set out to kill Jesus and they do. They catch him, they crucify him. And these friends, Peter and John, watch their friend die. And then they left. And they gave up on Christianity because they almost felt betrayed. I mean, he had said he was God and yet gods don't die. And at the cross, there was no more believers in Jesus. At the cross, there was no more faith because he couldn't have been who he said he was. And so then they ran and they hid and they actually denounced their faith because they knew that they would be next as people involved in this cult uprising. And so they said, never mind, we don't know him, we don't believe in him. The movement was over. But then something happened because these same guys that were running afraid began to run back into the streets. And they began to speak out against the people who had killed Jesus, the same ones they were afraid of a couple days before. And they began to say, never mind, you were wrong. He is God. And we feel this because we saw him again. We watched our friend die and then we had breakfast on the beach with him. And so now we believe that he was who he said he is. He is God. And it wasn't just them. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses running back into the streets saying the same thing. Not, we didn't have a Bible yet. This wasn't recorded yet. This was just eyewitness testimony that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God because they had seen him. And so as this movement began to take place, more and more eyewitnesses were running into the streets every single day, giving all they could, devoting their lives to making sure that people knew that he was who he said he was. Making sure that people understood there's life in him. There's freedom in him. Everything he talked about is true and we just have to follow him. And so they began to to talk on the street corners and tell everyone who would listen. They had this amazing boldness to run through the streets and say, he is who he said he is. And one of the things that they would even do is see people healed. And they continued to see some of the miracles that Jesus had put in place through them. And where we're gonna hop in in Acts chapter four is they heal a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 40 years, he couldn't walk. For 40 years, this guy cannot walk. He's known in the community. He's seen in the community. He has an interaction with these believers. He begins to see who Jesus was, what Jesus has to offer him, and then he walks. Now, people were amazed, but the religious leaders were not. And the religious leaders were upset because they had killed this cult leader and they thought it was over. I mean, what do you do to a movement? You kill its leader, you prove that that leader wasn't God because now we've killed him and the movement should end. It should never have been a blip on our history radars. And yet the movement began to grow. And now people were continuing to do the things that Jesus was doing and said, there's more of them. And so they were incredibly upset. And so their goal is to detain Peter and John to figure out what is happening. Why is this taking place? These same men who are running scared are now bold and we need to figure out what's going on. So they capture them, they question them, and then here is their reply. Peter and John to the religious leaders they were scared of just a couple days before. They say this, I love this. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all people of Israel 
that he was healed, talking about the man that they had just healed who was paralyzed, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man that you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. The boldness in this statement. They were at once afraid of these men who had killed their friend, who had threatened to kill anyone who would claim the name of Jesus. They were running scared. And now they are standing in front of them, boldly declaring, let me state it clearly, this was Jesus raising from the dead. You killed him. You were wrong. God has done something about it. This is their response. Incredible boldness. So much so that here's how the Pharisees respond. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They were amazed because this boldness was coming out of what they saw as ordinary people. Now, this word ordinary, if you look it up in the Greek, it's actually idiotes, which can also be translated, as you guessed it, idiot. In other words, they looked at Peter and John, not religious, didn't have it all together, low standing in society, not educated, and yet they were so amazed by their boldness because they were just ordinary men. How could God use someone like that to do such big things? Side note, this is always who God uses. If you look at anything throughout scripture, you will see time and time again, God picks those who feel marginalized, who feel outcast, who feel like they don't have it all together. In fact, he actually moves in their weakness. And so he uses time and time again, people who others would see as ordinary to do extraordinary things. And so maybe that's just for you. That's kind of for free, but maybe you're in the room and you feel like God can't use you. That's who he picks, the ones who feel like you can't be used. And so this is what he does with Peter and with John. And they're going, okay, they were scared a few days ago, and now they're boldly proclaiming this to us. Who are these men? And so here's where we get to the dangerous prayer. Peter and John, knowing that now their lives might be on the line, their safety is definitely on the line, and they're not sure kind of what the next step is for them. Here's what they pray. Not for comfort, not for protection. They pray this in Acts 4.29, our dangerous prayer. And now, O Lord, Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Their prayer is, God, make me bold. Their prayer is for more boldness. They're experiencing boldness, and we kind of see a glimpse of why they're, they're being extraordinary in this moment. is because they found boldness because they've been praying for it. They've been asking for God to make their faith so bold and so countercultural that people like the Pharisees are absolutely amazed by it. And I think that this should be our dangerous prayer. And here's sort of the tough question I want to ask. How bold is your faith? If you were to take an honest stock and just look at your faith, how bold is your faith? Another way to ask this is, are people amazed at my faith? Like the Pharisees were amazed at Peter and John. Do you live out your love for Jesus in such a way that the onlooking world stops and is floored by it and they have to know more about this Jesus that you follow? Does that characterize your faith, a bold faith? And if it doesn't, I think we need to begin to all pray, God, would you make us bold? Now, I wanna make a very clear distinction because I think sometimes we think of bold faith as something that it's not. 
And there's a huge difference between bold faith and obnoxious faith. And a lot of times when this passage is talked about, or this idea of boldness is talked about, we actually talk about obnoxious faith without realizing it. And what he's not calling us to do here is to be obnoxious. And let me give you some examples of obnoxious faith. Obnoxious faith is blasting strong opinions on Facebook to people who you don't even know. Obnoxious faith is defaming people that you haven't met and that you haven't had conversation or relationship with all in the name of Jesus. And what you're actually doing is the opposite. You feel like you're living out of bold faith, but you're actually showing people that God is angry and judgmental. And that's not the God who we serve at all. And so I'd ask you to stop it. Because no one ever saw an angry Facebook post and thought, I'm gonna change my whole life and turn around and then follow Jesus. It's just not how it works. You might be living out obnoxious faith. This also doesn't mean that you run into the world and become the morality police for everyone around you. And I think too often we kind of take on bold faith and, and put that banner behind it and think that we need to step out and tell everyone what they're doing wrong and make sure they see their faults. And yes, Christians have been called to together in deep relationship with one another and community, help each other to find more freedom in Jesus. That's absolutely a call of the believer. But what we are not called to do is to go up to people who have never decided to follow Jesus and expect them to follow the ways of Jesus and then criticize them and hurt them for not doing so. That's not bold faith. That's just obnoxious faith. Bold faith would be humbling yourself to actually listen to someone who totally disagrees with you. Bold faith might look like sitting down with someone who's different than you, looks different than you, sounds different than you, and engaging in a relationship and a conversation. Bold faith might be loving someone that you disagree with and being such a presence in their life that they feel safe and that they belong with you even if you never see eye to eye. That would be living out bold faith. Bold faith might be forgiving someone that doesn't deserve it and hasn't done anything to earn it because you are doing something so bold and so unique that it will stop the world in its tracks. Why have they forgiven them? They've done nothing to earn that. There must be something to this faith that they claim. Bold faith will stop the world in its tracks. Bold faith might be refusing to give into a temptation, even though everyone else is giving into it, even though it might cost you something and you might have to be honest and some things you might have to give up in order to kind of speak out about this thing and to not give into it again. But that is something that's so bold, that's so different, the world will stop in its tracks. That is bold faith. And that's what we need to pray for. So I don't just mean that people need to know that you're a Christian. I mean, for you to have bold faith, that means that when they see you live out your life, they get a glimpse into what Jesus was like. A glimpse into the love of Jesus, the all-powerful, all-loving, incredible person of who Jesus was. That when they see you live out your faith, they're getting little glimpses into who that is. And so a great litmus test for this is to think about how Jesus, you know, not, people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. He was around people who felt outcast, who felt marginalized, who felt pushed away from the religious society, and yet they found a home with Jesus. Even though they disagreed, even though they never saw eye to eye on some things, they felt safe and comfortable around him because they felt his love. So it's not just the people in your workplace know that you follow Jesus, that's great. But when they see how you love them, that's so different than how the rest of the world loves. Do they see a glimpse of the Jesus that you follow? 
when you post on Facebook, your banner says that you're a Christian and that's great. But when they see your post, do they see a glimpse of who Jesus is? Do they see a glimpse of the love that Jesus had for people who were different than him? When they look at your life lived out in faith, are they seeing a glimpse of him? Peter and John's prayer, and I think our prayer for willing, is to pray, God, make me bold. Help me step into a world and do what no one else is doing. Help me step into a space of influence and love like no one else is loving. And God, would you then use me to show other people what you're like? That's their prayer. I think it should be ours. So this is what happens after they pray this, and this is pretty wild and it's probably unexpected. It says, they arrest the apostles and put them in jail. That was what happened after their bold prayer. Not like the tidy, happy ending, like Pixar ending thing that we would expect. They are thrown into jail. And we talked about this a little bit last week because we saw it in Jeremiah's story as well. So I just want to remind you, opposition always follows big sets of faith. In fact, if you've taken a step of faith and you've stepped out counterculturally and done something in the name of Jesus that you felt called to do and you've hit opposition or you've hit rejection, you might be doing the right thing. It might actually mean that you should be encouraged because you're on the right path, okay? So then, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and he brought them out. And he said, go, stand in the temple courts and tell all people about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told. And they began to teach more people. Their boldness led to others finally seeing who Jesus was. Their bold step did way more than they ever thought it could. They didn't know the ending. They didn't know what was at stake. They didn't care about the cost. They didn't care who would leave them. They didn't care about any of that. They just knew God make us bold and we will continue to love in spaces where maybe there's no love. We will continue to speak up in spaces where no one's speaking up. And we will continue to be bold. You just show us that next step. And so kind of the takeaway point is that you have no idea how God could use a single act of boldness. You have no idea how God might use one single act of boldness. It doesn't have to be some giant thing that you've set and thought of. For them, it was just what is that next step? And so what is that next step for you? Maybe your act of boldness is to actually take 30 seconds of boldness and invite that person to sit with you that you've been thinking about every single week. And you see them during the week and you you almost do it, but it's scary and difficult and what will they think? And then I'm gonna have to help them get there and send them the Google link and that's just gonna be tough and so we just don't. But maybe this week you would pray, God, make me bold and invite someone to come alongside of you. That, That one invite could change everything for them. Many of you, that's your story. It was a single invite that changed everything for you. This is my story. It was one invite in high school to a youth group that I thought, that kid's kind of cool. If if he thinks I'm kind of cool, then I guess I'll go hang out. And then that was everything for me. Because at that youth group, I discovered who Jesus was and the purpose and the plan that he had for my life. And it literally changed the trajectory for my entire life, my entire future, my family's entire future. You have no idea what one act of boldness from you can do. We walk around all day long and go, God, show me your plan and your purpose. And maybe your purpose is right in front of you. Maybe your purpose has been right in front of you for a long time. And God wants to use you in spaces that we just need to pray, God, make me bold to step into that. 
maybe your step of boldness is a decision to stop giving into a temptation. And it may just seem like one moment to say no or one moment to turn another direction, but what you're actually going to do is change the trajectory of your life. And you're gonna free yourself up to experience more life and freedom in Jesus. And you're going to change the trajectory of your family for generations to come. You don't even know what God might wanna do through one bold decision. Maybe you need to have the bold step to actually speak up about something or to talk to a family member or a friend or someone in group and you need to be open about something that's going on in your life because you just keep trying to bury it and hold it down and all that that's done has kept you from really experiencing the life and freedom that Jesus wants you to have in that area. And so your bold step is to actually get counseling or to reach out or to finally make that call. And it might just feel like one bold moment, but you have no idea what God can do. You have no idea the freedom that God wants to bring to your life. You have no idea the freedom that God wants to bring to your family and your friends, the people around you that are hurting because of this and they don't even know it. One bold step could change everything. Maybe it's a decision this week to love when you really shouldn't. To love where it doesn't make sense. To love where they haven't deserved it to love where it's been nothing but tension and you will just, everything in you wants to do the opposite. And yet you're going to have one moment of boldness to love in a space that doesn't make sense and the world will stop in its tracks. That person, those people, they just might see a glimpse of who Jesus is and begin to investigate for themselves this faith that you claim, all because of one act of boldness to love when it doesn't make sense. I don't know what that step is for you. But I wanna challenge you, if you're willing to pray a dangerous prayer, maybe the most dangerous of the series, would you pray every day this week, God, make me bold. And as we do that together, five minutes out the door, a couple minutes before you go to sleep, doesn't have to be anything serious. God, make me bold. And he begins to show you those moments and help you to step into them. I think it might change everything. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you first that you are all powerful. You have the ability to do anything that you can handle our biggest hurts, our greatest fears, our strongest anxieties. God, that you want to hear from us, that you want to take those on. And then God, I thank you that you are all loving. That you have a heart for every single one of us it's not coincidence that any of us are in the room, that there is no one too far gone or too messed up, that you aren't just ready to hear from, to walk with in relationship. God, I pray that just in that, it would free up our prayer life over this next week. And that God, you would begin to give us the boldness to do the impossible at times. The boldness to love where it doesn't make sense. The boldness to take the tough step, even though it will cost us the boldness to take you up on your word, that you are who you say you are, that we can trust you and that you have so much more in store for us than we can ever begin to ask or imagine. God, help us take us up on that. It's your name I pray, amen.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.